Almighty God, we come before you and we're thankful. We're thankful for the example that you gave through the Israelites. When the bronze serpent was raised and everyone looked at it, was cured of the snake bites. And we're thankful that Jesus shared with Nicodemus that just like that snake, he'd have to be raised. So everyone who is bitten by the bite of sin could be saved. And then Nicodemus heard Jesus say those words. Then he saw Jesus lifted up. And then he was himself converted, a follower of Jesus. And so are we. that goes across thousands of years but it comes to us today and that the freedom from the sting of death and sin we thank you for that in Jesus name Amen it seems to me there probably are a great number of things that need doing in our world Are you with me on this? When you think about something that needs doing, maybe you have said this phrase, someone should do something about whatever it is. Finish the statement. Have you done that before? It could be that it's something as material and personal as someone needs to fix that pothole in front of my house. Or it might be more missional. Man, someone needs to do something to help these kids Uh, who are latchkey kids, and they're only getting fed when they're at school. Or it might be something about about society. It could be societal. You know, we've got a problem with uh, all these shootings in Indianapolis. Somebody needs to help do something about that. I don't know. When you finish that sentence, what would you say? There's something that really needs doing, and I wish someone would do something about whatever it is. Well, you know I'm not going to leave it like that. This morning when you came in, hopefully you picked up a piece of paper and a pen. If you didn't pick up a piece of paper and a pen, that's okay. You're going to have to just remember this. Here's what I need you to do right now. I need for you to take the next 60 seconds, and I need you to either write down or think about what is a something that you see in the world that needs doing. Pretty open-ended, totally up to you. Something in the world you see that needs doing Go, 60 seconds. Okay, 60 seconds is up. Here's the deal. Now, you have something that you think needs doing in the world. You either wrote it down or you thought it. Now, here's the next part. This is where this gets really kind of, it can be awkward or it can be exciting depending who you're sitting next to. I need you to find one other person in this room, and I need you to share with each other the thing that you think needs doing. 
And I need for you the other, only one other person. And here's the deal. You need to write down if you have the card, or if you didn't, write, if you didn't get the card, you have to have a great memory for this. You need to remember what they said, okay? So you're going to talk to someone else, and you're each going to share your one thing that needs doing in the world. Whatever it is, it's okay. It can be personal. It can be big. It doesn't matter if you said someone needs to fix whatever it is. Just talk to your neighbor about it, and now you have another minute and a half to have a conversation. So you have 45 seconds each to share. Go. Share with somebody. Okay, if the other person hasn't talked yet, you're way over talking, okay? So if you haven't heard of the other person, real quick, hear what their thing is. All right. I need you to take that piece of paper and just hold on to that. Don't let this go out of your mind, whatever you heard. We're going to come back to it later on. Just want you to think about that. And then now, after you've kind of put that in the vault of your mind or in your pocket, whatever you need to do with it, I need to change gears. And I need you to think about something else for a minute now. I need for you to think about the worst restaurant service you've ever received. I know some of you are here this morning, you're thinking, Preacher, where are you going today? I promise it'll all make sense in the end. But think about for a minute the worst restaurant service you've ever received, right? What happened there? Maybe the drinks didn't get refilled the entire meal, or maybe the food was slow to arrive. There was a family that missed church last week that told me that they had gone to a restaurant uh, here in town, in Columbus, and they had gone 90 minutes before our church service starts. They had sat down at the restaurant thinking they had plenty of time to eat breakfast and make it to church. Their food didn't arrive until about 15 minutes before church started. They waited over an hour for their meal. 
Now, I would have left a long time ago, but they didn't. And that was their excuse for missing church. So maybe it was exaggerated. I don't know. Maybe they're just church skippers. But the story sounded pretty good, right? It, it sounded pretty good because that's bad service. And we've experienced things like that lately. Or maybe they get your order completely wrong. Or maybe, this is a pet peeve for some people, right? You have your meal, but like all the dirty dishes just pile up and no one clears the table. I don't know, what do you think of when you think of really horrible service? And how do you feel when it happens? Like, right, lousy service frustrates us. I mean, I don't know about you, but you think like, you know, you're paying, a lot of times you're paying good money for a meal and you think that you kind of are owed something when you're going to visit the establishment you're at. And so you get frustrated if the service is really bad. In fact, I'm curious, how do you respond when you go someplace and the service is just terrible? What's your response? Do you not give a tip? Do you write a really mean review on Yelp? I mean, what do you, what do, you do when the service is really bad? I mean, do you complain to the manager? I, I, I'm curious. You don't have to tell me, but I'm curious what you do when the service isn't what you would expect. Lousy service frustrates us. It, it kind of comes from a place that says we, we think that we should be entitled to a certain level of service if we're paying for the meal or if we're doing things. In fact, in our culture today, in a lot of different avenues, we think that way, that people should serve us in a certain way. There's a standard of service we expect. Well, here's that ugly flip that you didn't see coming, maybe, and it's kind of what you didn't want to hear to start the sermon this morning, and that is... Given the fact that we read in Colossians 3.23 that whatever we do, we're supposed to work at it with all of our heart as if we were serving the Lord, what would God say about our service? Do you think we ever frustrate him by being inattentive and slow to respond? Do we ever get things wrong? Are we ever negligent in doing something that we should have already done a long time ago? I wonder how he would evaluate our serving I wonder. You see, as we come into this series and this sermon today, we're talking about things the church should be about, the, the purpose of the church. As we think about the church today, I want us to look at the, the purpose of ministry and serving. It's really important that we learn and that we serve well. Jesus talks a lot about serving, and he really says that, that when we serve others, we're really serving him. You know this story. It's one of the stories Jesus told that we, we remember, we think about from Matthew 25, but it's a powerful story. In fact, it's really important you remember that it's not Marty saying this, it's Jesus. And he's the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's the one who gets to decide the future of who goes to heaven and sadly those who won't. This is what Jesus says about serving it's about who we really serve when we serve others, who we really are ministering to when we minister to others. I know you know this story, but let's listen to it again. The words of Jesus from Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, 
you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now the righteous will answer him, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? But the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, it would be great if Jesus just stopped the story there. It would be one of the happiest stories ever. You're like, that's really nice, Jesus. Ah, oh, that's a good one. Let's read that one to the kids before bed. But that's not where Jesus stopped. He goes on and he says, then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Like, that's harsh. This is, this is Jesus speaking some tough things here. Speaking truth, as they say. He says, I was hungry, but you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? But he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me that they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. <laughs> wow. Jesus gives a pretty strong statement about the importance of serving and the importance of ministering to other people. Jesus doesn't take it lightly. It's something he sees as of great importance. And it wasn't only Jesus Jesus makes it clear that when we serve, we're really serving him. He tells us, who are you serving? You're serving me. When you're serving others, you're serving me. When you minister to others, you're ministering to me. That's who you're serving. But what does that look like in the real world, right? I mean, how do we play that out every day? Well, I need us to, to think just for a second about the church right after Jesus has died on the cross, risen from the grave, and ascended to heaven. And there's been a, a small window of time, and then that day of Pentecost comes, and the disciples go out, and they preach the first post-ascension uh, of Jesus sermon to the people. And it's that powerful sermon we read about in Acts chapter 2. We learn that 3,000 people that heard the message, that they come to faith. They come to believe in Jesus. They make him their Lord and Savior. 
Well, the end of the chapter says this remarkable thing about these Christians, that from the moment they came to faith, as the church is being born, they weren't just a church of saved people, they were a church of saved people who were serving the Lord by serving others. Listen to what it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. This is what it says about these new Christians. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were listening to the things the apostles were said, the things we read in the New Testament. They were committing themselves and devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that is communion, but also meals together, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They were sharing with each other. In fact, listen to verse 45. Talk about ministry. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's pretty remarkable. In fact, every day, not one out of seven, but every day they met together in the temple courts. They would break bread in their homes and eat together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. They enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Remarkable. They understood something about what it meant to be a Christ follower. It wasn't just some internal thing, some personal thing. Their faith wasn't just something that was, it was contained just in how they thought about God and lived their own life, but they recognized that faith was something that has to be lived out with other people who are around us. It's a pretty remarkable thing that they did. And they didn't stop there. I'm not going to look at the whole passage right now, but if you would jump ahead into Acts chapter 6, you would see that they, they, they saw a need in their community. I have to imagine that when they gathered together as church people, they were talking about, man, there's something that needs to be done in this community. Nobody's feeding the widows. No one's taking care of these people who are hungry. And, and someone needs to do something about it. And all of a sudden... We know this to be a fact. Somebody in that group must have said, you're right. It should be us. We're the ones who should do something about this. And they did. Like the church has just been started, and immediately one of the first things they start to do is to feed hungry people and to take care of widows that no one else is taking care of. Like the church, right? This is Jesus, the faith. They immediately think, we got to live out our faith. I have to believe they were inspired by those words that Jesus said in Matthew 25. You should be doing these things. It matters. Minister, serve, make a difference. I need you to understand this is the beginning of what, what over and over will be said by the disciples and the apostles and those who wrote the letters and the, the, the books that we read in the New Testament. Listen to some of the things they say. They say things to us like Paul in Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Mark tells us this about Jesus. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I like what Paul said to the Galatians, for you were called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your own flesh, but through love serve one another. And of course, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, 
rendering service with a good will as if to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. We are called to serve, but whenever I talk like this, there's always someone who, they say, yeah, but there was a time I could do those things. But now I can't. Um, I have this, whatever it is. Fill in the blank for your reason why you can't. Often it's too, I'm, I'm too sick and I'm too old. I hear that a lot. One of the things that I want you to know is that just because you can't do X doesn't mean you can't serve, right? Just because you can't do this one thing doesn't mean you're not able to serve any longer. In fact, I really think we're all called to serve all the way to the day we die. My grandmother and I had a conversation not long ago. She had lost her, my aunt had passed, my grandmother's daughter-in-law. My grandmother's, you know, this is the one who wears the big gigantic belt buckle, the leather pants, the cowgirl. That's my grandma, 97 years old. And um, she's thinking about, why am I still here? Like, why am I here? If you're watching, Grandma, why am I still on this planet? And here's her answer. I know why I'm still here. I'm still here because I can still pray for people. And I can pray for my family while they suffer through a loss. I want you to know that prayer makes a difference. A lot of you know Wanda Grimes Johnson. She was a big part of our church. She passed away this year. She was a good friend of mine. And as she had gotten older, she was, felt like she couldn't teach Sunday school or children's church or she couldn't come, she couldn't drive anymore. She couldn't do a lot of things, but she had this one thing that she still did faithfully. She had a spiral-bound Mead notebook that she wrote down needs in. And she dedicated herself to praying over those needs every day. And when she heard good news about how need had been met, she'd write that in there. God did this. And if God hadn't acted yet, that just meant you got to keep praying until you see God move. I had discovered that one day when I was at her house and I saw it sitting on her table in front of where she had her Bible. And I was humbled when I saw one of the people's names in there was her preacher. And I don't know if she thought I was really preaching bad. I don't know what she really thought about that. But I was in there and I was grateful. She was praying for me. I kind of think this is how it is, really. If Jesus were to come back, I can't prove any of this next part, but if Jesus were to come back and he was here today and he was in front of you and he was going to give a speech and talk about who is the greatest servant among us, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be me, Virgil, or Zach. I'm pretty sure it would be someone like Wanda. Someone who is faithfully giving everything they can, serving the Lord on their knees and their prayers, uh, giving, their, giving the, the, the widow's might, if you will, they're serving with all that they have. I think those are the people who are the truly greatest among us. Jesus said he was among us, not as one who was to be served, but as one who serves. He modeled that for us, right? That thing, by the way, in Matthew 25 about when I was sick or in prison or I was naked, you did these things for me. You know that Jesus did every single one of those? Like, I'd make another sermon just to show you, how, show you the passage where Jesus actually lived out every single thing he asked us to do. He did not ask us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. As for being too old or too, too whatever to finish, I love a story that Barb Clawson talks about, she tells about her, her great uncle who lived to be 106 years old. Now, on her uncle's 100th birthday, he went to get his license renewed at the BMV. 
And the BMV was rather suspicious about a 100-year-old coming to get his license renewed. Like, is that really who he went driving down the street? And they were kind of giving him a hard time. And the lady asked him, she said, so, sir, can you tell me, what exactly do you need a license for anyway? You're 100 years old. You never missed a beat. He said, listen, young lady, someone has to still drive all the old folks to church. <laughs> and he did it for five more years. He got his license. Listen, I don't care if you're 15 or 105. We all still have something that we can offer to the Lord. And why should we keep offering it to the Lord? Because the Lord doesn't stop offering his best to us. He doesn't stop. So why would we stop short of offering our best to him? Listen, I, I hope you understand who you serve when you serve. You're serving Jesus. And I hope you're beginning to understand uh, why we serve. We, we serve because Jesus served. Listen to what Paul wrote about Jesus in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from the, his love, if any, anything in common and sharing with his spirit, in any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and have the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. His purpose for us as Christians, his purpose for the church, one of his purposes is we're called to serve to serve one another in love and to serve the Lord in the things that we do. We're called to serve. Think of it this way. As the one who created us, God has some rights, some influence over his creation, some things he expects from his creation. We were no doubt created to worship and serve the Lord. That's absolutely right. God gave each one of us a spirit and a free will. He gave us the opportunity, if we choose, to serve ourselves. But he asks us to serve others in love. So I'm pretty private when it comes to things about myself. I, I'm quick to share with you about people who have things going on, but I always tell you the stories that happen in my life. Some of them, the real personal ones. Like when I had to have a heart cath a few years. Some of you don't even know that had to happen. 
had to go in for a heart cath. And uh, this has been several years ago. And was having some challenges and didn't know what was going on. And uh, ended up at Methodist Hospital at the heart cath lab. Now, I got to tell you that as I was getting ready for that, I was really afraid, in part because two things. First, I had to take some medicine right before that. They said, now, if they have any problems at all, you'll be on this medicine for the rest of your life. I didn't like that idea at all. And the second thing was, there was this document I had to sign, right? And it was a document that said, now listen, it's really possible that during your heart cath that there's going to be a problem, and they're going to have to just rush you right into open heart surgery. And you may wake up having just having realized that you've had a heart attack or a stroke or a problem, and, and you also have to have this document signed about if things don't go well, you know, what do you want us to do? Some of you have been through this, right? Well, you know, I, was a, I think of myself still as a young man. I was like, this is, this is intense. You know, I, at the time it happened, Eli was still not even a teen. He wasn't double digits yet. And I was afraid. I was like, I've got a boy at home who needs his dad around, right? Like, that was intense. Now, the elders knew when our elders prayed. And uh, the morning of the event, Dream and I get up very early in the morning. We head to Methodist Hospital. And I don't mind telling you, I was a nervous wreck. <laughs> There was a lot going through my mind. I was scared. And we walk into the waiting room where we're supposed to have sign that document and do all those final things. We sit down. I'm holding Dreamer's hand. She's holding mine. Not knowing what the next few hours are going to unfold. And all of a sudden, this older, retired, African-American man walks over to us. And then he kneels down on the ground in front of Dream and I. He's on the ground. He puts his hand on my knee. He looks at both of us. He goes, pretty scary place, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it kind of is. He said, I know. He said, I can see. He said, I, I, I work here. I'm here every day, he said. And I sit with people that are going through this. He said, tell me for a second. He said, who's going to do your heart procedure today? And I told him the name of the, the, the doctor. And he looked at my wife and he said, oh man, he is good. He is so good. In fact, you need to know this. He said, he is so good. He, he's the kind of guy that when students want to learn how to do this, they come and they see him. When other doctors have a complication, they call him. He's the person they talk to. He said, you are in the hands of one of the best. He said, you're really fortunate you've got that guy today. He's fantastic. And uh, he said, beyond all of that, what you should know is that if things go badly, he has saved so many people's lives. Like something goes badly. They, there's a blockage, there's a problem, and, and all of a sudden a person actively starts having a heart attack. He said, this is the doctor who, like, he saves your life. Like, right there, he's done it over and over and over and again. He said, he saved many people's lives. He's like, he's, like, he's tremendous at that. And like, that's building my confidence a little bit, right? I'm like, well, this guy's all right, you know? Now, he's still on his knees, on the floor, right in front of Dream and I, right? Now, he has my chart, and maybe he knows that I'm Marty Wright, pastor of Ogleville Christian Church. So maybe that's what inspired him to say this. I don't know if he would do this with everybody, but he says, but that's not all. You know, you're going in there today, but you're also in the hands of the great, the greatest physician. And he'll be with you, too. And then he looked right at me and he said, and you don't have to worry. He said, while you're in there in the hands of the great physician and of the physician who surgery, he said, I'm going to stay right out here and I'm going to be right here with your wife. I'm going to make sure she's okay. 
She has whatever she needs while she's out here. He said, I don't want you to be worried about anything. It's all going to be okay. Well, that was pretty cool. And he was using his gifts to serve others, literally down on his knees in a waiting room. After that was over, I found out later on that even when he retired from his job, he would frequently still just come back in there and he would help people. And I don't know if I was one of the people he helped post-retirement or not, but he came in to minister to people because that was his ministry, his act of service. Made a big difference to me. Do you know that while I was in surgery, he made sure my wife had, I think, Starbucks coffee? <laughs> pretty nice. Like a pretty nice guy. Thursday night, I preached this sermon. A person walked out of here, and he opened his palm, and there was a little rock with a cross on it. He told me that when he had had a very similar thing happen, a Christian had come alongside him and had given him that. He said, just what you know, this is to remind you that God's with you. I'm praying for you. He still had it. He's kept it all these years since that happened. Things that we do, they can make a big difference. You can make a big difference. I think that the plan that Jesus has to change the world, sometimes it involves a person standing on the corner who says, repent, the end is near. Sometimes it needs that. I won't dismiss that. But what really makes a difference is how you treat your neighbor, how you treat the person around you who's in need. And you may never get to see on this side of heaven the impact that your, your moment of service had, but I kind of think another thing that happens in heaven is you get to find out some of that stuff. Like that little thing that you did that seemed almost insignificant to you made a huge difference for someone else. Church is called to a lot of things, but let's not forget this. We really are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, serving others in love in our world. Let's minister to the Lord. Now, it might be that you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know, without him, we can still be really generous and humanitarian, but without him, a big part of our purpose is missing. It's missing. And if we offer all these other services and things, but Christ isn't a part of who we are, so that's not a part of what's happening, well, the impact is much less. Let me just say it that way. You need Jesus in your heart. You need Jesus in your life. And if that's not where he is right now, this needs to be the day you make that happen. Maybe there's a different kind of decision you have today. Maybe you know there's something you need to do that you're not doing, and you just feel like, okay, I got to get that done. I got to get about that. God will put things like that on our heart. He certainly does that. Maybe that's what will happen in this time of reflection, meditation, and invitation. Whatever it is, follow the leading of God's Spirit as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.